Hey everyone, it's Joe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Business Analyst podcast. My guest today is Angela Wick, host, trainer, creator over at BA Squared and BAQube.com. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. So happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you on. Shall we just start and dig in? Won't you tell me how it is that you got into into business analysis and uh, where you are to, and to where you are today? Oh goodness, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I think like most folks in our in our field or of our age and generation, we started in business analysis before it was a formal title, right? And my experience was no different. I was a business major in university, but graduated in the mid to late nineties when everyone was getting jobs in tech. If you were a music major, you would get a job in tech, right? Back when I graduated. So my dream though was to help businesses improve. And I knew that, I knew that back then. So I wanted a consulting job. And so I was lucky to land a consulting job at a very large consulting firm. And my title was analyst. You could say that's a business analyst if you'd like, right? Right. Um, but my first training was right away they put us into programming school. Okay. And so my first role was programmer, but I did that for about three months. And then I was a tester for about three months. And then I was working with requirements and data for about three months and then DevOps for about three months. I did this rotation and got to work on these ginormous projects. They were absolutely huge. Some of them had hundreds of analysts on them. But I got to see the whole software development life cycle, the continuous improvement aspect, data, users, everything, right? And um, after a while, I had worked on so many different projects in those quick rotations and quick roles and seen so many. Um, I was known for being the person that always asked about the user and questioning what the user was about. So I pushed more into requirements roles. And then eventually I got to lead the organization's internal BA practices okay. piece. Very early in my career, I was assigned to look at 3000 top performing projects and what were they doing wow. in terms of requirements that were working and not working. So I got to interview the most successful project leaders and I got to um, see what they were doing from a documentation and process perspective and put all those learnings together in a, a formal practice for a very large consulting firm. And again, I had very little experience at the time, only a couple of years, but being put on that project to lead the effort to create and develop, that was pretty cool. And I didn't even still understand that that was called business analysis or requirements engineering or any of those terms, right? Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Wow. It was it was when I left the big consulting firm that smaller consulting firms were like, wait a minute, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a fabulous opportunity that was. I like how it starts. They just give you this generic title analyst so they can prefix it or append it with anything that they want. So it's like analyst programmer, test analyst, requirements analysts. We'll just do like the circle around that word. So um, what's some great... Exactly. What great experience. But... Um, I'm definitely intrigued. I feel like I'm I'm jumping ahead here, but but I can't help myself. If you look at three thousand top performing projects to find out what it is that makes that successful, can you like distill that down to like what was it that you discovered? Well, what we discovered was package 
implementation projects were different than custom build projects and web projects were just starting to take hold and those were different than client server projects and existing software upgrades was different than brand new software project implementations. So we really were looking at those aspects of it and what techniques and different analysis methods and approaches were being used based on some of the bigger context things that we had to perform on projects. Wow. Okay. I think that makes sense, doesn't it? Different projects yeah. need for different reasons, right? And they require different mm-hmm. different approaches. Um Okay, so that probably catches us up a little bit towards today, right? You, you've got this wealth of experience yeah. in, in the background. Now, I know it's only our imagination, but if you were to cast your mind a little sort of further forward, what do you think the next decade might bring in terms of trends for, for our profession? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we're already seeing a lot with generative AI take hold, some of its speculation Uh, But I think over the next decade, we are going to see a continued divergence of really good performing business analysis and really poor performing business analysis. So what I mean by that is the difference of results that organizations, teams, and BAs get from doing really subpar, not so great analysis to the ones that are doing it really, really well and leveraging an AI-first approach to their analysis is going to just leapfrog into separation between them and the results they can get. And and why I say that is because AI is going to allow us to do things that best practice BAs are doing today and organizations are doing today, but in like the flash of a second, Mm. instead of now the reason laggard organizations are not doing it is because the time and the skill set and maturity it takes. But in the future, the time it takes to get to that best practice will be like a snap of a finger with the the AI and data analytics that we have. So that means that if you're already lagging behind and don't have these skills, mindsets, and approaches to the role of business analysis, you're just that much further behind in how well you can perform in terms of how fast we can get business results. And we all know business analysis is such a key part to that. So I'm thinking about things like using data analytics and AI to tell us what the most critical things to fix are instead of using backlogs and a bunch of requests from our businesses that we're currently using today, right? Smart organizations are already using evidence-based data to show, okay, wait, these are the things and the places where our processes are not performing to our strategic metrics. Right. Whereas more laggard organizations that aren't as mature in their practices are literally the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Whatever a leader asks for, it constantly changes is what gets the attention. Now, that can be very important, that anecdotal and leadership point of view. But let's back it up with data. Mm. Today, really crafty, savvy BAs can go find that data, some faster than others. Sometimes people don't have the patience or organizations don't have the patience to go get the data to back up what they need to work on that time frame is going to narrow hugely in the next 10 years so that we can use evidence-based data to understand what we should be focusing on literally understanding very quickly the cost of an issue and proactively managing that performance of a process our users and systems am i making sense 
Or am I talking in yeah, circles, perhaps? No. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating to listen to. I think you dropped a few things in there. So I'm just going to try and split them out just to make sure that, that, that I spotted them in there. First, I'm, I'm not a big sci-fi fan, and I, and I try not to bring in um, sci-fi references. But I feel like what you <laughs> said with regards to AI, I had an image of Star Trek going into that warp factor 10, right? So everybody's here right now, fairly close to each other. But if we leverage AI um, to do some of that best practice properly, then some people are just going to take a massive time leap in front of other people and leave somebody far behind, right? Yeah, the, the somebody in the most is kind of the interesting part of it, right? Like I actually think there's maybe five to 10% or less the companies are really at a mature stage today, they'll just be able to do those mature things so much faster. Yeah. Whereas the organizations that are, you know, the 90 plus percent of organizations that are just not even doing analysis and elicitation, right? We know there's so many out there that think documentation is elicitation and analysis. And we know that that's not true, (laughs) that there's hundreds and hundreds of techniques and, and formalities and skills that can be used. Well, if we're not, trained in those skills and leveraging those skills and not really looking at how we can use data and analysis and analytics and all these practices together Mm -hmm. and how are we you know those skills are going to be needed to do that leapfrog yeah no indeed right oh and um I, i feel like there's perhaps another little message in there as well is that right now even though you think you might be like far apart between the laggard and and the sort of example, that gap's going to be even wider in sort of five years' time. Like, you're going to be even further um, behind if you don't act now. Okay, so I got the AI time jump. The other thing that you dropped in there was this um, evidence-based data. Um, I feel like you were almost saying that projects are going to emerge out of a different place to where they emerge now sort of the triggers to do things are going to no longer be in that sort of boardroom and those ideas but it's going to be based on evaluating and monitoring operations and that by responding to some kind of indicator there is going to be what's driving us to go away and look at something and and find a way to make it better Yes. And I think that's going to depend on projects that are all about current operations and systems versus brand new products and processes that we're building, right? So that that differentiation between the work. So with our existing processes and systems today, we're often using a lot of very reactive and old data to then come up with ideas and then prioritize our ideas then we assign a BA and it takes what, how many weeks or months to get requirements done. So by the time we know there's an issue and the time we actually implement a business process change and system change, it's it's oftentimes a long time. And really with AI and data analytics, this time frame can be absolutely smushed where we can predict and prescribe based on the data rather than react. We can react much quicker. Like I imagine a business analyst of the future walking into their own dashboard in the morning, showing them value stream and process performance data metrics and reports. And BAs are going to have to build and design these dashboards as well for themselves and the different business units. 
and they'll be able to see kind of like red light, yellow light, green light indicators. Now, the trick is the BA has to be able to define what the value streams are, what the processes are, and what the key metrics of success are to make this work. Currently, this is very mature business analysis practice where this is happening, right? Yeah. Okay. So if I can define the right data points that I'm looking for and overnight, or I'm seeing a pattern all of a sudden emerge, I can get ahead of it. And with that's descriptive analytics, right? But with predictive and prescriptive analytics, we might also have dashboards that are telling us what the recommended fixes are and even modeling different options and alternatives to show us how the data might look different. So imagine using this evidence-based data-driven modeling and then running experiments, whether they be 100% digital experiments right then and there. And we're like saying, well, why don't you change this and change this? And then reviewing with our business stakeholders some of this, getting their feedback because they're seeing and thinking things too, and really facilitating that process of decision-making in a cadence that is 100 to 1,000 times faster than today. That that's the kind of thing that that I feel like we're going towards where our key BA skills are needed. But yet when I look at the landscape today, so many BAs don't have the, these key BA skills yet. Right? Now yeah. I'm guessing the audience of your podcasts are going to be more of the percentage that are up on the industry and trained. We don't know exactly who's listening, but I think you and I in our roles. I'm pretty yeah. sure, you know, th th there's going to be a mix. Um, but if we're basically going to talk to stakeholders and say, what are your requirements and writing down what they say, and then going and doing a bunch of technical research to put it into technical specs, writing up a document and yeah. handing it to a dev team, that I just don't see happening at all in the future. No, def definitely not. Um, I, I don't even want to see that today, let alone tomorrow. <laughs> Correct. Uh, I agree. But but how many, I mean, let's face it, yeah. there's still a huge percentage of titled business analysts. That's what yeah. they're doing. They, they, right? They, they, they are. Um, they are. I want to come back to your dashboards, though, right? Yeah. What's interesting about that is... As you say, we've got this dashboard. Behind it sits a value chain. Those value chains decompose into, into various process flows. We've got the data points. We, we know what it is that we want to look at. We want to monitor. We come in. We've got some flashing lights that go warning, warning, or whatever it's doing. We yeah. actually just built a tool for ourselves. We never build tools for ourselves. We always build tools for other people. And here we are. Look at us, right? We're, so... so that's the sort of thing where we're actually now coming up with um, tools that we can use in order to sort of do our jobs better, right? You know, it's funny because I would say some very mature organizations already do this today. It just takes them so much more work to build, right? In fact, years ago, it might have been around the turn of the century. Boy, I sound really old saying that. But I worked on a project where it was a software that monitored business processes and tried to attach a dollar and a flag system to executives when certain technical things went down. So one of my roles was to help organizations map out if this technical messaging thing goes down, which business processes and value streams and how much money per minute is impacted for the organization and then define alerts that would go to executives that would tell them the priority to fix this. So this stuff has existed for decades. It just takes an immense expense mm. 
and work to get it going. So what I'm saying is this type of thing is going to be so much faster and easier to create in the future. It already exists today. It's just very few organizations are investing in this to a robust manner to allow this to happen the way I'm talking about. Does that yeah, Help. no, 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 completely. Yeah, no, I get that, that there are some examples out there of this kind of stuff working, as you say, sort of a bit too few and far between. And it does take a lot yeah. of effort to do. And it's probably also a lot of effort to change once it's been done. It's probably not so like adjustable from month to month, quarter to quarter or whatever it needs to be. And yes, our tools are getting much easier to use. They're much more accessible, right? Digital natives, no code kind of stuff. So no, absolutely, yeah. that's coming along. I, I'm going to pull across to something else. You dropped that word um, experiment in there. Actually, I'm going to come back to experiment because I want to close out something else with you that you're talking yeah. about. You're talking about evaluation, which I suppose continues from these d- um, dashboards as well because that's the purpose of them, right, to evaluate. Mm-hmm. Do you see mm-hmm. evaluation sort of replacing elicitation? That's a very big statement. <laughs> and I've been thinking a lot about it lately. Um, I had some conversations at a, at a conference in May, the Building Business Capability Conference with some other uh, thought leaders in the industry. And, then, and we were talking about that. And I don't replace it, but I think the line becomes a lot more gray. And so let me throw this out there. And I was actually looking this up this morning. Okay. I was on the court. I was on the core team for BABOC version three. Mm. And so we were the, the lead authors of that. And we defined three facilitation types and in task conduct elicitation. I'm sorry, three elicitation. Did I say facilitation? Um, three elicitation types, collaborative research and experiments. And it's funny because today we still see the majority of BAs doing collaboration as elicitation. Some do research, but it's very manual and skill intensive and takes time. And more and more, the more agile and nimble they're becoming, they are doing experimentation. We'll come back to that, right? Mm. But the research component is the part that I feel like becomes very gray with the evaluation component. So solution evaluation, a whole other knowledge area in the BA Bach, yet when we wrote that, it was all about a constructed solution, which in an agile way of working can be after sprint one. You've got a constructed, partially constructed solution. You can evaluate and monitor how that solution is performing. The, the, the quicker you can release it with AI, we're going to be able to write code and release things much quicker. So think about, okay, now we can monitor it. And the monitoring and the research start to blur together for existing solutions. So that's where I say it's a really big jump to yeah. say it replaces. It's almost like think about it as elicitation and solution monitoring kind of go hand in hand in an iterative cycle, just like elicitation and analysis do, right? You don't elicit and then analyze and then monitor. We elicit, analyze, and then we're like, wait, I just analyzed something that tells me I have a lot more to elicit and research, or I need to go monitor something, right? So these are not sequential processes is the most important concept, Mm. I think, that we need to understand. And with the AI world coming they just become more blurred in terms of there isn't an order to it. We're doing it all at once. And so it's so important that folks understand the BA Bach isn't about a sequence or a process. It's, it's just constructing and deconstructing what we do as BAs. Right. 
It does, yeah. I mean, it's it's hugely iterative. Um, what it is yeah. that we do. Um, that, 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 those are some nice categories, right? Collaboration, research, experimentation. I've got experimentation on my list here, but I'm going to stick with collaboration now. So what so what we're saying is that that, that maybe some of this sort of um, evaluation is coming into this research category. Let's talk a little bit about collaboration. I'm, I'm going to say a dirty word to you now, Angela. Documentation. Okay. Do you see I'll collaboration? Throw it right back. <laughs> say again. I said I'll throw it right back at you. Go ahead. <laughs> Your question first. Um, collaboration sort of replacing documentation. What do you think? Ooh, that hurts. Um, <laughs> I don't think documentation is elicitation. So I want to be clear with that. No, no. Documenting yeah, yeah, yeah. is not elicitation and collaboration. Yeah. Right? No, no, it's and not. So that's where it's like when we talk about the skill sets of BAs, the ones that are beyond that, right, that are actually doing elicitation techniques and analysis techniques as an input to something they may document versus those that start documenting, which is a very painful and slow process if that's your elicitation and analysis technique and process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're you're so, using okay. you're using your template as the tool really and starting at the top and <laughs> moving down and hope that it lands you with the right answer in the end. But if we see a shift from gathering, eliciting to sort of evaluating and monitoring I think we're also seeing a shift from documenting through to collaboration, aren't we? As being like a yeah. primary approach. I mean, we've been seeing that for 20 years with agile ways of working, right? Yeah. That for, for 20 years, leaders have been saying, I don't want to wait for documentation. They consider the start of a project when development starts. And, and right, so it's all about how do we accelerate getting to development? And then in the future with generative AI, development's going to go much faster. So then are we saying, well, okay, now we're really going to be the ones that hold everything up as analysts. We, we can't do that. So we have to learn how to analyze and elicit as an ongoing continuous improvement exercise, not a phase. So we can not accept elicitation, documentation, and analysis as a phase. Organizations that figure out how to do analysis while the bullet train is speeding through mm -hmm. Are going to win in the market yeah definitely think so too um let's come back to your third category now experimentation tell us a little bit more about what that means to you so you know the the ba back version 3 was written over 10 years ago and i was so excited when other leaders on the team as well were talking about experimentation because this is such a key technique that as we talk about product management and business analysis that are converging more, which we can get to as well as to why, it's all about these are techniques traditionally used more in a product management sense in terms of experimentation and hypotheses. And they're used more and more lately and in the future because with higher complexity levels that we're dealing with and faster rates of change, we do not know what we don't know. So experimentation is all about things like, you know, the most common thing we hear in a BA space is A-B testing, for example. Mm -hmm. 
but it's also just experimenting with what don't we know, what are some things we can try, and what are we actually looking for? So it even comes down to your you know, seventh grade science class. What's my hypothesis? What's the experiment I'm gonna do? What's the fastest way I can get meaningful evidence to learn something? Because the more unknown unknowns we have, the more complexity and the more change we have, which is not going to slow down. No. The more we have to do experimental approaches. And in the future, AI is going to enable us to do experiments much faster than we can yesterday and today. And we're going to continue to see that. So the ability to critically think through what's my hypothesis, what experiment, what am I trying to learn, facilitate group to make that decision and do it. Or to be able to go, I need to experiment with this. I want to model this and build yourself a tool that can do it is going to become increasingly more important. And again, it's been around in a technique bees have been using for decades, again, but probably not used as much as it should be. That will become a much more popular technique in the future or a critical technique to success. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you say, you're going to be able to, to throw a hypothesis at it um, and be able to get some, some feedback on it soon. And I guess you're going to be able to play with it in a sort of offline scenario as well, not just in production. You can say, if I were to do this, what is the impact likely to be? So, so you can do it in a safe space as well. Mm -hmm. And AI can very quickly look at tons and tons of data from the past to predict what might happen in the future way faster than we have tools to do today. Yeah, which you've reminded me one of the points I'm, I'm looking desperately for my notes here but but earlier on <laughs> you were you were you were talking about data um and you were saying how it, it it was difficult and it takes time really to sort of look at that data well maybe to get the data look at the data find some patterns and trends going on and i think the way we're going we, we, we can expect to see more data than we've ever seen before so i imagine our problem is almost going to get bigger in terms of like being able to gain insights from data unless we do something about it. That's interesting. Um, yes and no, right? I mean, I feel like AI is gonna help us weed through the data much faster. So like before the generative AI hype cycle, you had to have really, really find the needle in a haystack skills data, right? Yeah. And I feel like with the generative AI advances and deep learning that's happening with machine learning, the AI is finding the needle in the haystack far faster. And when you combine that with human intelligence and prompting at the right levels, the, it gets amazing and crazy to think about what can happen. It does. I, I'm going to ask you a question here. You're just going to have to guess the answer to this because I'm, I'm pretty sure you won't know. Um, you know, one of, one of the problems with generative AI and this prompt stuff is at the moment it's public domain. So as much as I would love mm -hmm. to throw my company's data at it in order to give me a very quick answer, it's not ethically or probably legally the right thing for me to do. So I'm going to have to wait for generative AI to be a service within my organization that's protected. How many years, how long do you think it might be until we have that kind of in-house generative AI tool that is safe to throw the company data at? It's already here. 
Is it? Okay. Is it oh, in right. some companies? The, the big ones like Microsoft yeah. and Google, I'm guessing. But when it comes to your sort of typical high street bank or insurer? They're, they're already playing with it. Okay. Yep, it's already here. So we can already take OpenAI tools, for example, and say, let me play around with this without sending my data back to the public domain. We can already do that. Their AI that was released allows you to do that, or their okay. API that was released right? Um, companies are already experimenting with getting their own data. The issue with that data to build their own internal data domain is data quality. So data quality is far more of a hindrance to that than the idea of getting our own universe of private data. That's already happening. It's, it's the data quality issues that are the barrier. Yeah. So where do BAs come into play with that? I mean, we could look at that and say as BAs, well, I don't deal with data quality. And I'm going to say, yes, we do, right? And I can see your face as well right now, like, uh-uh, of course we do, right? Because we designed the user processes that start the data coming into these systems in the first place. Yeah. So how do we design really good user processes and workflows that get us high quality data? Or or are we looking at the data flow between systems and humans and organizations through our APIs and messaging systems and watching the quality in the rules that we're using to pass that data between various systems, right? So BAs are going to be a huge asset to getting that data evaluated and cleaned and ready to be used or evaluating with the organization how clean is it, working with data analysts to help determine that. Yeah, because um, there might be some dirty data from a data analytics perspective, but then how do we assess the impact of that? Is it usable for the purpose we want to use it for, or is it detrimental to use it to the value we're trying to achieve? That's where I see business analysts having a seat at the table with all that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was shaking my head because um, I, I was working on sort of ECTL um quite a while ago I won't say how long not quite the turn of the century a little bit after that but um yeah it's it's where like it's where it originates isn't it of course and then we've got the user interfaces we we, we create those places where people can enter data and often it's just very poor it's very weak and and then we just start feeding the garbage in and of course if there is garbage it is going to impact value somewhere. Like if we want to have that dashboard with data on it, if we want to produce a report with insights on it, we're making business decisions. If the data's not good, the decision's not good. It, it's sort of as simple as that. Um, really. Yeah. Because in organizations, especially in the content business, right, there's lots of organizations where data is their business. Yeah. They've been playing around with their own AI universes for years. The question is what capability does the new machine and large language learning models bring into it mm. and how do they and i think it's happening very fast leverage the new capabilities in with their data universes that they've already built so i i it's already happening yeah it's already happening i, I wonder how visible it is to people though i mean you, you've clearly got like a line of sight to this for other people, it just might be more a little bit sort of in some R&D space. And, it, you know, it's going to take a couple of years before it's trusted to get into their day-to-day -day BA work, I imagine. I think it's going to happen faster than we think. But my only hindrance or doubt on that is the data quality issues.
Yeah. Yeah. But then, if it, but what's really scary about that to me is what type of organizations have data quality issues compared to other types? Mm. And uh, thinking about, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, industry, you know, the data in the industry, as you say, what is the purpose of that? What impact does not having like the correct version of that that data have? It's going to be different from the medical industry through to retail industry. It's going right. to have very different impacts, right? Or how fast can we train an AI to detect what clean data is and non-clean data and only use the clean data? Or how fast can we train a large language model to yeah, detect that or detect if we now have enough information to leverage it, right? So mm. those capabilities are what, you know, yeah. we're experimenting with right now. It's there's, I know a lot of it is kind of behind the scenes, but there's no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. It, I don't know how fast it's going to happen, but yeah. it's going to come way faster than we, <laughs> I think, think you, right you, you're, you're making me think it's gonna like turn up for me next week and i better get on it you know i'm finding that sort of kind of pressure here actually you know it's funny because funny things happen right in the last six to eight months since all this where you think it's that and then you jump on a conference call and you hear what companies are doing and talking about and it's just like wait 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 i'm just comprehending this can happen you know but yeah there's um there is there's a lot going on there is a lot going on in terms of organizational data and how it's being leveraged in combination with public domain data that everyone has access to and how you can partition which data you want to use in different processes to leverage it and if you let your data into the mix or not and how you partition it off to be private into certain processes all of that heavily being experimented with in companies right now yeah um and you, you know you mentioned the pace of this the pace of change absolutely it's going to be mm -hmm. here before we know it. we've seen so much change um over the recent while like i mean i mean you've painted quite a futuristic picture which is perfect for the future business analyst podcast right i think yeah. everybody who's listening is already a manage um imagining and thinking beyond where they thought that they had to think to probably when this this episode started let's help them out a little bit what are the key like ba skills that they're going to need to be able to sort of survive and thrive in in this world that you paint <laughs> isn't that the magic question right um in some ways i want to say exactly the same skills as today just yeah. being used in a very different context so and, and really understanding what those skills are when i say the same skills as today so if we first talk about the underlying competencies that are transferable to any different career field right like our underlying competencies of analytical critical thinking um influence communication skills those skills i know we all have them what the future is going to do is challenge how complex and high level we can use them and and apply them and so what really kind of makes me think about it is like wait if the level of those skills has to be this much higher than today to perform as a business analyst then how are we going to train our entry level bas because so many of these underlying competencies are built over time with experience 
right? So if I need to have an executive level of communication skill, wow, I have a lot of work to do to get there, even though my communication skills are pretty good right now for an individual BA. But in the future, they're going to have to be even better. That level of what individual BA communication skills is, is going to elevate. How do we then get our entry-level folks learning these skills that much faster? That, that's what boggles my mind, right? So then on the tactical technique side of BAs, I would say the same theme applies. We still have to have our analytical skills. But again, we're going to have to be using them in a more complex environment and in a faster pace than today, which means we need to have more experience and training in these analytical processes. So if I think of visual models, for example, that help us analyze, okay. right? Okay. I've experimented with the various AI tools. No, they are not creating visual models for you other than mind maps, right? Yeah. But like a state diagram, for example, any of those like art tools by AI can't create a state diagram for you, but you can ask a text-based tool to tell you the elements of a state diagram. And then you can give it a business process and say, okay, can you list all the elements? So in my mind, okay, can a BA use that to say, okay, I can analyze a state diagram and draw one, but I still need to know what a state diagram is, when I would use it, what the elements of it are, and if someone gives me all the elements, how to draw that. So wait, that's an elevated understanding of the analysis techniques than many have today. So those that have those elevated skills and understand the techniques have used them before and can assimilate and use AI in their work can do all of that so much faster. Is that resonating with you, Joe? Yeah, it, it does resonate. Yeah, I'll start with the underlying competencies. Um, I, I, I think um, I had a chat about this the other day with somebody that they were they were saying that they don't think AI can sort of replace things like um, questioning and empathy and some of the soft skills. I have a little suspicion that it's going to get quite close to be able to do some of the easy stuff, right? Like you could generate some AI to ask some questions of, of people to do some elicitation on your behalf when you're not there. I can see that happening. Um I mean, I've even seen an example of AI used for companionship with people who are old and alone, you know, so that yeah. has to be showing some empathy and compassion, right? So if I, if I think about some of the things I've seen, I think it's, it's not going to replace us because there's always going to be a, a human level needed, but I do think it might take away some of the more simple stuff. And as you say, it might be us behind that who's dictating it, who's building that tool, who's sending it out there. So we've got some soldiers working on our behalf because we do have to respond to change a lot more quickly. So we have to have more things helping us, right? Yeah, I mean, AI understands emotion in that I can ask an AI to give me the same response they did, but in a really empathetic and compassionate response. And they will rewrite it in an empathetic and compassionate way. Yeah. Or I can say, great, it's a little too mushy for me. Can you put a little fun, lighthearted spirit into it and rewrite that? And they will. Right. So I agree with you that there is some level of emotional understanding, but or response. As humans, 
yeah, uh, or a response. emotional response rather than understanding, because that's the point. They don't understand, but they are able to respond. I don't know, because even back 15 years ago, I was on a project that was working on voice recognition software that was detecting emotions okay. in voice recognition. So that was even happening 15 years ago. Like they were trying to detect like intonation inflections in voices. Okay. To then say, like, for example, on a call center application, if someone is responding like operator versus operator versus agent, please, like they would escalate. They were trying to escalate people's anger and frustration emotions. Like we were playing around with stuff like that. So yeah. again, a lot of this emotional stuff is there. To me, what's missing in the human mind is connecting the dots for the context of a situation. We can ask AI to leverage emotions, absolutely. We can't necessarily, boy, I'm questioning as I say this because there's a whole lot going on, right? Depending on the data AI has available to it, which likely isn't all the data needed, right? You're in the situation, you're in a room with a stakeholder, you're watching their visual cues. So unless your AI assistant has cameras everywhere around and evaluating the person you're talking to right then and there in that moment, which I guess that's possible, and giving you clues like this person's angry, here's how you respond to them right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I mean, anything's possible, but I agree it's going to... It's, There's it's still gonna, the contextual situational things, right? Yeah. But, but, but you know, if I think about something as simple, an elicitation technique like a survey, maybe I can reimagine the survey. It's not a form that goes out to you to answer now, but it's like some kind of AI, like um, 20 minutes. You, I ask you a question. I give you some criteria. Mm -hmm. You give me the answer, right? And we've deployed that en masse. We've achieved the same um, positive intent that we wanted to get through a survey and maybe by listening to people's voices we can pick up a little bit more about their tone and their meaning and what they're saying and what they're not saying but anyway um the next thing the next thing you, you talked about is models um yes we can do very much like like text-based descriptions and and then need to be able to take that and turn it into that model things like um state machine diagrams and alike Yes, we can get um, mind mapping sort of visualization. I also feel that maybe in time we're also going to get the models that we want. If I think back to, I mean, one of the first tools I used was Jordan by a chap called Ed Jordan. It was for, for data modeling. I can mm -hmm. I can imagine having a tool like that that you know is is based on some prompts in order to 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 do a picture. I think that'd be very nice and very cool. It's a little bit sad. Because I do think, you, you know, you were talking about, like, elevating the knowledge of these things to the point. I think understanding what happens beneath the tools and the macros and the automation that happens in things like Bizarre or even things, that, you know, macros in Excel, that's, that's like 99% of it for me. Well, yeah, what you bring up is really interesting because I realize we haven't touched on it yet is even though AI can do all this stuff, that doesn't mean someone doesn't have to validate the output, the quality, because at any time we're not realizing exactly which inputs AI is using to create the output based mm -hmm. on. 
So we still have to do a gut check, right? Mm. Say, does that make sense for my situation? Mm. Or, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Oh, I bet it included that universe of data. Mm. Wait a second. Can I ask them to redo it without that universe of data? Or can I just take this and edit it from here? So we still need all those skills. Mm. It's just we it's almost like I equated to having a a junior BA who just started and has all this formal academic education doing something, but they're not really sure which inputs to use. Mm. They're just using all the inputs they find, right? They ne- they yeah. might not have the judgment of which inputs to use or the judgment of context that a more experienced person has. So mm. we still have to, as an experienced BA using AI, like be like, oh, great. That just thought about 10 things I would have never thought about, or it would have taken me months of conversations to think about. But these things over here are not in the context of what I'm working on. And I'm going to delete those parts Mm. that that type of judgment still has to happen. Yep. But that that doesn't mean we shouldn't lean into it and use it because it can still get you combined with your experience and context and knowledge, a result so much faster than not. Yeah. Yeah. No, indeed. Um, Yeah, we're sort of, you know, we're still doing the same thing. We just might have a slightly different role in it, right? Mm -hmm. That's sort of what's changing. I want to close up. I mean, the the, the intention is not for this to be an enormous answer, but I do know that I might be opening a little bit of a can of worms. Um, (laughs) You know, you you, you mentioned um, you're, you're worried for... Uh, BAs getting into the profession and you know needing to educate them and elevate them to get those communication skills to be able to um, collaborate at a, an executive level. You you just brought up um, education again now in your last response, and I happen to know you didn't mention it at the beginning, but I happen to know that you have a little bit of um, lecturing experience inside of universities as well, right? Yeah. Um, do you think universities can do a little bit more to help prepare people into this space? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts on it other than, I mean, I know universities are working hard already on teaching AI versus being scared of it, right? So back in the late fall, when ChatGPT came out, right, there's a lot of educators freaking out about cheating and this and that, but they've moved way beyond that. And there's a lot of really clever things happening in the university environment where now it's a requirement to use AI for their assignments. So I think our graduates are going to be much more knowledgeable about how AI works, the possibilities of it, all of that. And that's all good. Um, yeah, that challenge of getting our underlying competencies and knowledge context elevated enough is the one that I continue to just be stumped with. Um, and for so many, I mean, we could have a whole nother conversation about this, right? Like, yeah. how do we take this digital nomad generation who by some points of view, maybe are already behind in some of the communication skills from a human factors perspective, because their whole world's been digital their whole lives. Mm. Or, right, so, or or do we have better, quicker, faster ways to upskill these things? I don't know. I mean, I mean, universities do have tight relationships with the businesses in their communities. Yep. So there's no doubt these discussions are already happening. Uh, how fast universities can respond to building the right skills is a whole nother question. 
It is, and as you say, possibly the the subject of a, another conversation on another day. But um, yeah, yeah. As I say, I was just interested to get like your sort of high level view on on sort of educating the next um, the next uh, generation of BAs. And this brings me to say thank you to you for educating me, educating the audience on on what you see for the future of business analysis i think you you painted a picture that's going to really make people think so much fun right so much fun to talk about um anytime i'm it's it's definitely a topic i've been every day you know working on imagining and creating content and learning and exploring and talking with organizations and bas it's it's a daily a daily thing right now and i hope it is for everybody because it's changing quick <laughs>